Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome, everyone, to the Never Say Die podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and with me again, as always, is our NHL analyst and expert, the grumpy old man. They say he's got no shame in his game because he's always the same. That's true. That's true. That's me. Well, I, I, I hopefully that call line was to your satisfaction, grumpy old man. It wasn't. You're supposed to read the call line first and then. But you know what? It's always a work in progress with you, TJ. So we'll just take it with a grain of salt. At least you remembered to. At least you mentioned it today. Eventually, maybe in two or three years, you'll have it down pat. Well, in two or three years, I'm going to be working as a WWE promoter at this rate. Yeah, whatever. Just let's go. <laughs> well, there are a lot of things happening in Islanders country here as of recently. We are recording this podcast here on Sunday evening, and I am so glad we waited until Sunday evening to record because we've got trades to talk about. And obviously, this, well, one trade, but we could we can go ahead and look at the indication of this trade based off of how much we gave up that the Islanders will be making a move on a forward as well. But that we will talk about a little later. I want to talk about the two games the Islanders played not great um we played the National Predators since our last podcast lost five to zero and then we were also shut out by the Vegas Golden Knights one to nothing um speaking about the National Predators obviously we do not match up well against them we lost to them earlier on in the season eight to three and then lost five to zero um that's just not a team we play very well against and the National Predators are getting hot they look like they're going to be back in the playoff pitcher in the matter of a few games. So that's a team in the Western Conference that's really a dark horse to watch out watch out after to make a playoff spot. Yeah, uh, I think you're downplaying one thing. That's the fact that we don't seem like we can score any goals. Oh, trust me. I was going to talk about that. I mean, we're shut out in back-to-back games. Well, I just, you know, I remember earlier in the year when you were trumpeting how good we were offensively, we were averaging three goals a game. And I'm like, and I kept on saying to you, we are not, a good scoring team and sure enough it's come to fruition like i was afraid uh we're just a bad offense we have one guy on the whole team who can play offense it's just that plain and simple one Um, guy that's extremely offensively talented and i also want to tell you grumpy old man at the beginning of the season during that 20 game stretch where the islanders were 16 3 and 1 the islanders averaged 3.14 goals a game so i just had to go ahead and state that there correctly for the record and in the the last 37 games we're only averaging 2.7 goals a game so just to go ahead and give you that number and that still seems like a lot for us because i i mean when was the last time we scored more than two goals in a game i can't even remember well, we scored five goals against the Washington Capitals and then oh, yeah. five goals against the Philadelphia Flyers. That's right. I, that's right. I, you know, here's the thing. I kind of blocked that out. The last two games getting shut out kind of takes away whatever positive taste I had in my mouth out. Um, against and, Met- that's, and that's unfortunate because we were singing the Islanders' graces and glory because, I mean, they beat two Metro, Metro Division rivals in regulation. And, they, they again, they looked pretty good. Their offense yeah. was clicking. Um, defense again, still an issue, which is what we addressed in this trade today. But that being said, we, we looked like we were getting a little bit of offensive pop and then we go ahead and lay two goose eggs in back-to-back games. Yeah. Well, I told you we had some fluky goals in those two games and you can't live on fluky goals. Um, that said, uh, getting back to the two most recent games, we just don't seem to match up well with Nashville, uh, our gap control between our defense 
And I'm not going to blame the defense wholeheartedly. Our wingers are not coming back. Uh, They're not doing a good job marking their men in transition, and they get kind of uh, looking up ice a little bit. So, yes, I think you are right. It's not just on the defense. They stop moving their feet. And it's just, you know, you have to wonder how – remember, we're an older team. We've been playing down a couple of men. It's like we're playing – and we do nothing to really replace them. We just kind of play shorthanded almost for games and games and games. And an older team, you're going to kind of lose your legs. And, uh, I mean, I just – the direction we're going is not positive right now. I don't think anyone could say it is. And that's why we tried to go ahead and stop the bleeding a little bit by acquiring 37-year-old defenseman there from the New Jersey Devils, Andy Green. Um, for those who are not aware, we traded a second-round pick in the 2021 draft, and uh, I think his name is David Quinville, or maybe it's at, uh, David Quinville. Adam David. Quinville's – okay, that's correct. Uh, David Quinville. Um, and everybody, for the most part, he was a guy who was, I believe, drafted in the fifth or sixth round back when he was selected by the Islanders. Um, he's related there to um, Adam Quinville. Uh, I believe, and he was a guy who's a little bit shorter in stature but could put up points um, and has been spending a little bit of time split between the E and the A. Not really much of a loss there. With the way we play defense and our defensive style, you have to definitely be defensive-minded, and uh, Mr. Quinville was more of an offensive-minded defenseman. Yeah, he's no loss. Um, To me – the second round pick that you're giving up for a 37 year old, not fleet of foot defenseman, a rental also, yeah, and a rental was a bit much. Um, I don't know how many teams you got to remember. He had a no trade clause as well, so you would think that you're not going to get a bidding war for a guy who has a no trade clause. I just wonder if they had. I mean, Tom Fitzgerald, Tom Fitzgerald, who used to play for the Islanders is the interim GM for the uh, Devils. And you have to think that he kind of put one over on Lou Lamarillo a little bit. I, th- I think that was a bit of an overpay for him. And some some people are, are trying to draw the connection that the Islanders are in defensive woes um, as of late, and they really haven't been able to recover since Adam Pellick has left the lineup. Uh, that being said, we kind of expected this. And – and I don't want to say anything contradictory of what we said in the past. We knew when they were continually playing Noah Dobson sheltered minutes that it was going to take its toll and effect on the defensive core as a whole. And I made a post about it, and there were some Islander fans who were obviously jumping all over me. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I trust Barry Trotz. How many Stanley Cups have you won? Blah, blah, blah. And, of course, it's water off the duck's back when anything like that happens on the internet. But in the same token, I'm not happy that I feel a little vindicated. But when we continue to play Noah Dobson, those sheltered minutes, we saw the decline in the defensive play as a whole. Guys like Nick Letty not acclimated to playing those larger minutes. And we forced guys like Scott Mayfield to play larger minutes. We're obviously not able to go ahead and handle that role. And we made a trade, I think, to address that because now with this trade of Andy Green, I think it does help our team. It does. Um, as to how much, that's to be debated. Um, obviously, Noah Dobson is going to be the odd man out, grumpy old man. He's going to be the guy, the number seven defenseman for the rest of the way. And it's funny because in the post-game interview, Barry Trotz said, we're going to go ahead and give a guy like Sebastian Ajo a chance. And as soon as he says that, and, and Sebastian Ajo has been playing well in Bridgeport all season long. He's paid his dues, he's played well, and he played well last year in Bridgeport. And he thinks he's going to get his chance, and we make a trade for Andy Green. He gets sent right back down to Bridgeport for good. Well, here's the thing. They don't want to play the young players. Well, it's established. They do not want to play young players on Steam. Period. End of sentence, end of story. You can see that up and down the lineup. They'd rather play old guys, trade for old guys, play guys in their 30s, as opposed to giving young guys a chance. They just don't want to do it. Um, you're 100% right. We talked about it right from the jump when Pellet got hurt. And you mentioned, okay, yeah, we're struggling with Pellet. You want to know why? He was a top He was a top two defenseman for us. He was and our I, top pairing defenseman with, with Pulak. That's correct. And I'm not saying that he's a top two defenseman in the league for any team, but for us he was. I mean, particularly for the style that we play. I mean, he's a solid defensive presence out there. He plays on the played on the penalty kill, played in the, the, the tough minutes. 
And when you lose a guy like that, what you're doing when you don't fully implement a Noah Dobson as your number six defenseman, you're putting strain on the rest of the veterans on that team who are, and here's the thing, what people seem to forget, before Barry Trotz came here, we couldn't stop anyone in defensive end. Not anyone. We were the worst defensive team in the league by far. And those it's the same players. So when you're giving the Nick Lettys an extra three, four minutes a night, he can't he can't handle it. Johnny Boychuk at his age can't handle those advanced minutes. And we mentioned we said it was gonna happen, and sure enough, it came to it's come to fruition. I mean, I can see why they traded for Andy Green, but at 37 years old, what do you really what does he really bring to your team? What do you what does this team really need going forward? Does it need defense? Or does it need offense? I want to jump in really quickly to answer your question, Grumpy Old Man. Now, with this trade for Andy Green, I look at it as a positive for a few different reasons. Um, I, number one, I do agree with you. I think we gave up too much for Andy Green. I think it does help our defensive side, and and this is the main reason why. I feel Barry Trotz is not going to play Andy Green sheltered minutes. That's not going to happen. Andy Green was averaging 21 minutes for the New Jersey Devils. Everybody likes to point out he was the only player with a positive plus minus on a team that's negative 43 and the goal differential this season. They like to go ahead and tout that in his favor, and that's great. I don't watch enough Devils games besides the time when they play the New York Islanders to effectively say, yeah, Andy Green still got it, or you know, he's definitely towards the tail end of his career. He's not a big defenseman. He's only five foot eleven. Um, and I did not know he was that small. I do know this much, though. This helps in the short term because, again, you're going to see those minutes that certain defensemen had to go ahead and step up and play because Barry Trotz wanted to shelter Noah Dobson. We're going to see those minutes drop down for those defensemen, allow them to get kind of catch their legs a little bit. You wonder if the damage has been done for a little bit of time. And because, again, we have a lot of games within a short amount of time. And – as you do that, we talked about the bumps and bruises that were going to be accompanied with that. We talked about the dead legs that were going to happen. Um, and who knows if Andy Green can go ahead and be poised for a long playoff run either. Again, he's a 37-year-old defenseman. I don't know much about his play. I don't watch enough of his games. I don't watch enough of the New Jersey Devils. That being said, how are his legs going to hold up? Let's say we have a few seven-game series in the playoffs. Assuming that's the pitcher that the Islanders want to go ahead and create, how are his legs going to hold up? He's old. And he's not a great, he's not fleet of foot. So, I mean, I don't know who you're going to put him with. You can't play him with Johnny Boychuk. I'm just going to flat out tell you, they're going to look like two turnstiles out there. And the issue is not with the defenseman. The minutes that they were playing was the issue. But that said, it's the fact that the Islander forwards in this scheme do not come back and play defense consistently. That's when we get into trouble. It's how many not- times over the recent games, Grumpy Man, hate to run you off, how many times do we see a guy like Brock Nelson, Anthony Bavillier, Matt Barzal, you name it, not going Anders Lee, Josh Bailey, not marking their man and, and, free, and go ahead and freeing up a wide-open opportunity for the opposing team? That is a big no-no, and when you do stuff like that in this system, you're going to pay. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the defenseman. That, that's my point. And that's what I'm saying. When you play a full defensive scheme like Barry Trotz likes to play – if everyone doesn't buy in, you're going to give up primo scoring chances, and most times they're going to end, end up in the back of the net. And that's what's been happening. And like I said, to say that, oh, we need another defenseman, I think the bigger need on this team, and here's the thing, we're not going to be able to address it in season. It's an off-season thing. Just like I said last off-season, we needed at least two top six players. We got none, supposedly. The management knew this, and still nothing happened. You're not going to pick up those players now. I mean, if your next best option is Andy Green, I don't know where you go from there, honestly. Well, I want to say this much. They did make an attempt again. They, they threw $12 million a year at Panarin. He chose to go with the New York Rangers. So in that case, there's not much we can do in that situation. Agreed. We talked about the reason why he didn't choose the Islanders. He chose the Rangers. You know, there's a litany of reasons. Um, that being said, he didn't choose us, and that's all that matters. Um, I think you're right. We do need top six forward help. But so, man. The issue that I had with the Panarin issue with the Panarin situation was we didn't have a plan B or even a plan C. We had no we had no other alternatives. Well, you know, if you only go in with plan A, it was the same thing the year before. It was Tavares or Bust. I mean, 
you know, you got to have a good, a good general manager has more than one plan. Okay. If this doesn't work, how else are we going to make the team better? And, you know, last year we heard, oh, you know, the first year, well, the first year we're just getting used to our players, you know, so it'll be a while. Well, what about the second year? I mean, here's the thing, you know, we're re-signing our older guys and are they the future of the team? I don't think so. You should be building around the Barzals, the Pulaks, the Pelics. Those are the guys you should be rebuilding around, not giving not giving huge deals to aging veterans. I just I don't think that's a recipe for success long term. I just don't. Well, I can tell you this much. With this move we made today, I can almost put us at a 100% guarantee based off of how much we gave up that the Islanders are going to trade for a forward. And this is the part that really scares me. We overpaid for Andy Green. And, and, and rightfully so. I mean, we're a team that's struggling defensively. The entire league knows it. And in order to win in the Barry Trotz system, we have to be fundamentally sound on defense. When we're not doing that, we have no prayer to win or at least to go ahead and win multiple games in concession. Okay. So I, I, I would just – just for a second, where are we really struggling? Are we really struggling defensively or are we struggling offensively? We're I struggling think, offensively, not defensively. Okay, we'll have a game or two that we struggle defensively a little bit, but for the most part, we can't score any goals. No, I, that is a problem, and that's what I was going to go ahead and address there with my statement. I, I know it was starting to monologue a little bit, grumpy old man, but that being said, in order for our team to be successful, and the way we were successful last year, we were one of the be- we were the best team in the goals against category. Obviously, based off of the damage that's been done over this last 37 games, I don't think we can get ourselves to being the number one like we were last year. Again, we talked about it this offseason, too. Some people thought we could we had the chance to be better defensively than we were last year or to be at par. We talked about we knew the goals against average was going to go up because we had no injuries on our defense besides Thomas Hickey, and we replaced him with the with Devon Taze, which in honest all honesty was a real plus for us. Um, that being said, we saw it. We saw it last year. In order for us to be successful, we have to have excellent goaltending. We do, and the thing is, because occasionally we're going to give up chances, and we need our goalies to really step up when we do give up those chances. And defensively, we have to be rock solid. I think it's a little bit of both, grumpy old man. Well, we saw in our own zone defensively, we have been not doing a good job marking our men down low. We haven't been doing a good job fighting in the areas we need to fight in. And I think that's a few areas where our defense could use room for improvement. And I, I think, long story short, we needed a defenseman, but we also needed a premier goal scorer. That is the biggest thing that I think we need to address in this trade deadline. Based off of who we've seen is available, I don't think there's that guy out there. Some people think, all right, all we need is a top nine forward. We need like a Jean-Gabriel Pajot, maybe a Travis Zajac. Some people, again, those are the names that are being thrown around that are available. Based off of the names that are being thrown around that's available that the Islanders are targeting, I don't believe that it puts us over the edge as a real Stanley Cup contender. No. Um, Back to your talking about the defense from last year, we had two goalies who had a 93% save percentage. I mean – that's that's just not sustainable. It just isn't. I mean, they were good, really good last year. Goalies are up and down from year to year. And the whole fact is they weren't a whole lot of premier scoring chances. We Everything was kind of funneled to the outside. A lot of the shots were coming from the outside last year, where this year you're seeing our, our, our forwards not picking up guys down low, like you mentioned, and it's leading to big-time scoring opportunities. And sometimes your team, your goalie has to steal a game from you. And for most part, that hasn't happened this year. Varlamov almost did last night, honestly. Um, but for the most part, our goalies have come back down to earth this year, which is to be expected. That said, you're right. We need uh, we need a big time score. You're not going to find one available as a rental or a guy on expiring contract. If you want, if like I mentioned previously, if I'm going to make a deal, I want somebody young who can be with this team for a number of years. That's what I want. Um, I I just I just don't know where we're going honestly to get offense this year. I just don't. Well, I wanted to talk because you mentioned a few points, Grumpy Old Man. I didn't want to I didn't want to go ahead and interrupt you. I think our forwards don't do a good enough job as of right now marking their men. 
But I also think, again, our defensemen are occasionally losing their men down low. And that is a complete no-no. Not only is our forward group consistently losing players in transition and they're getting these wide-open chances, occasionally our defensemen are not doing a good job in front of the net either. And that needed to be addressed. And, I, again, I we could talk about it in a few different ways. And I want to briefly talk about this. And it could be a podcast in itself, I feel like. No adoption should have never been kept on this roster. If you knew, you knew exactly what he was bringing to the table in practice. And maybe your hopes were that he was going to continue to develop at an astronomical rate because, again, he's big, he can skate, uh, maybe just need a little bit of time in the NHL and with the constant defensive pairing to go ahead and get him up to par, and maybe then he's going to be able to fill the shoes. That being said, he hasn't been able to do that. And this year has been a waste for him, in my opinion. He definitely would have benefited more in juniors, but that is a whole different topic for itself. I don't want to get too too much off the rails, Grumpy Old Man, but I wanted to mention that. Yeah, okay. Um, I also felt if he was not going to play regular minutes, he should have been sent down. It's all about him playing at this point in time. Uh, he's not been the problem, though. All right, he had a tough second period yesterday, but he's been one of the better defensemen albeit in a sheltered role. Uh, he's one of the only guys at all who can advance the puck. from. We are struggling getting the puck out of our own end. We're weak getting the puck out of our own end. That is not an issue with Noah Dobson. Um, Nick Letty has been the main uh, perpetrator of those mistakes, and you're seeing it filter down to Pulak and Taves and Mayfield, and Johnny most of the time is laying on his side. Um but to on me, the ground in some yeah, capacity. To me, the problem isn't Dobson, and I'm not saying that Dobson is ready for top four minutes, but he could have played your bottom pairing minutes for certain. If you just would have let him play consistently from the beginning of the year, put him in there, I think you would have been fine playing two out of three games, splitting with him and Johnny, teamed up with Letty. And then when the injury came, he would have been ready. But they didn't do that, and they reaped what that you reap what you sow. And that's what I mentioned when it happened at the time. I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know how much Andy Green, okay, he'll help you on the penalty kill a little bit. But I just don't know what he brings. I don't think what he brings is going to solve what it ails us, which is mostly everyone playing team defense. That's that's what I think our biggest issue. It's not the defensemen, with the exception of the extra minutes. It's the fact that our forwards are not playing team defense. Well, I will say this much. I disagree with you a little bit on Noah Dobson. I don't think he's ready. I don't think no matter how much, how many opportunities and how many consistent minutes they would have given him, he would have been ready this year. I think he would have definitely benefited from another year in juniors. Honestly, he would have benefited from time in the A. Um, and we can also talk about this. Thomas Hickey is now back in skating. They expect him to be back in a week or so. Um, and Bodie Wild was sent back down to the Saginaw Spirit. So he's done with his time in yay. Um, numbers weren't great. Again, I don't watch enough Bridgeport games to tell you how he was effectively doing. That being said, it uh, doesn't bode well when you play 20-some-odd games, you get benched or healthy scratched a few in a row, and then you're sent back down to Saginaw, back yeah, down to juniors. Yeah, but he was injured all year too. So, to me, this is almost like a redshirt year. And you look at, uh, but look at the way the Bridgeport team is put together. You have a bunch of really young guys, and you got a whole bunch of old, old guys who are really ECHL players. I mean, I, I don't even know what they're doing down there. I mean, I don't know how you can be successful playing with that type of mix of player, honestly. Yeah, and we've talked about it in the past. You want to go ahead and have a fine balance of winning games as well as developing players. Obviously, the pertinent part is developing players, but it's nice to go ahead and develop a winning attitude for these young men as well. Uh, that being said, I can tell you this much, Grumpy Old Man. The thing I fear the most when we target this forward, because we are going to make a trade for a forward, after seeing how aggressive slash desperate, whatever you want to call it, that trade was for Andy Green, we we traded a lot for him, and we are going to make a move there for a forward. I can promise you that much. Okay, so who who you think we're targeting? Any any idea who you? Who oh, like all again, like this is the wacky season. I'm not going to say we're targeting one player in specific. Um, you've got sure you've got John Gabriel Pajot. People are talking about, and that goes ahead and adds some center depth. Yeah, it's terrific. It helps. Um, and maybe then you can go ahead and reunite that second line of Broussard, 
uh, Bavillier as well as Nelson. Brock Nelson. And that was a very, very hot line. That would obviously be optimal. Then you could put Anders Lee, Josh Bailey together, and Matt Barzal. I think that would help improve us, given I think we, or whatever forward we do go ahead and trade for, we are going to overpay. We showed it with the Andy Green that we are in a win-now mode. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to give up for a forward, but I have a weird inkling that we're going to give up a first-round plus some for a rental forward. And the biggest thing and the biggest issue I have is if you give up all this draft capital, you have the inclination that this is this is the year for you to win. And if you don't win this year, all you've done is severely impact your prospect pool. I, I, and again, having prospects and developing players is not end-all, be-all. And some people like to use this, oh, well, the Islanders only have one player from the second round in the last 10 years of drafts that are playing for them right now. And that's interesting. It that's is true. I'm going to tell you what, that's disingenuous. It is. It's true, and it's disingenuous. And now I pulled up the players, so I wanted to mention them because a lot of people like to say, yeah, well, the Islanders really don't do a great job drafting in the second round. Here's the interesting things, guys. Since 2009, this is the last 10 years, since 2009 until 2016 NHL draft, we've only had four picks in the second round. And here are those picks. In 2009, Miko Kiskitsen, he's a starting goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers. And he was a starting goaltender for them last year, played over 50 games. He's playing a constant shift in the NHL, game in and game out. He's a guy who's playing in the NHL, and that's all, honestly, you could want. And that was in 2009. 2010, didn't have a second-round pick. 2011, Scott Mayfield, playing for the New York Islanders, playing big-time minutes. Again, he's playing 19, 20-plus minutes a game. He's panned out. He's a guy who plays on an NHL roster. He's a hit. Johan Sodersham, not a successful pick. Then in 2012, the all-defense draft, where we drafted every single player as a defenseman. V.A. Poca um, didn't work out for us. And then you don't have a second-round pick. He helped bring us uh, Letty, did he not? Uh, not, not traded. Was he not part of the package to get Letty from Chicago? Yes, he was. Well, then that's that's you know. I, if you're talking about the prospect that was picked, was he a successful pick? That's okay. what I'm talking about. Not whether you were able to success, not succeed off of that pick. Yep. Um, but after the 2012 pick of Viapoka, we didn't have a second round pick until 2017. So through 2017 to 2019, we've had four second round picks. But I'm not going to be able to say, honestly, if a player drafted in the second round from 2017 to 2019 is effective yet. Because, again, they've only had X amount of seasons, really, of the, after their draft. I mean, you look at a guy from 2017, Robin Sallow, he's only had really two real seasons to go ahead and get everything underneath him. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, sure, next year if he's not in the Bridgeport or in the system, sure, then you could talk about a guy might be headed towards that draft bus category. That being said, you had Robin Sal in 2017. In 2018, you've got Bodie Wild and Ruslan Ishikov. Again, way too early to comment whether they're successful picks or busts. And then in 2019, you got Samuel Bolduck. Way too early to comment whether he's a successful draft pick or a bust. It's just disingenuous to say the Islanders don't pick well in the second round. We don't need a second round pick. We haven't had a lot of second-round picks, and if you look again at the last 10 years, players who have had, an, an, I guess, a long enough amount of time to succeed and work their way to an NHL roster, you're looking at four possible candidates, candidates there. Kostitsin is playing again in the NHL in an everyday role. Scott Mayfield, Johan Soderstrom, not working out, and Villapoca didn't work out. Yeah, well, you're hitting 50%. That's mighty good for the second round, I'm going to tell you. So, you know, well, like I said, when people say that, they either don't really do their research like you did or they're just saying it to push a narrative, like second-round picks don't mean anything. You know, it's ridiculous. And here's the thing. The second-round pick they gave up was in 2021. That's the year of the expansion draft. Wouldn't it have been nice to have a second-round pick where you say, hey, we'll throw you this second-round pick if – you know, you don't pick this guy off of our roster, something like that. This and a, a player that you like out of our minor league system. Like we gave away our first round pick to make sure that who Vegas would draft or wouldn't draft. So you know, Vegas wouldn't draft Calvin DeHaan. Right. So, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm not a big believer in trading away draft picks when your team is old like we are. And when you're a team that is not does not have a great farm system right now, regardless of how many years we've been picking in the top 10. I mean, it, these are just – I hate to say it, but these are just facts. And when you're getting rid of draft picks 
for guys who are in their late thirties, I just don't, we're not close enough to be making moves like this. It's just, I just think it's, it's just short, it's short-sighted and it's folly really. And, and that's what, that's kind of the entire point I want to drive home. The Islanders are going to make a push for a forward. I honestly believe they're going to trade a first plus some for a forward. And the biggest question I have is Islander fans. Do you really think we're a character like Andy Green and a top nine forward away from competing against a Tampa Bay Lightning in a seven-game series, the Boston Bruins in a seven-game series? Hell, if the National Predators make it, you think we're we're an Andy Green and a top nine forward away from competing against them if they make the Stanley Cup? Uh, okay. I, I know I hear this from Islander fans a lot. I hear it from you a lot. Top nine forward. We don't need a top nine forward. We need a top two forward. Well, this is my thing, grumpy old man. I don't want to run you off. What top two forwards or a top line forward are available that are even being talked about as maybe trade possibility? Well, just well, then you know what? You have to try to be creative. You have to try to maybe somebody who's you know, maybe that's why in the offseason you make an offer sheet to a Mitch Marner or you, you assign, you know, some of these restricted free agents. You make them offer sheets when a team is up against the cap, like a Kasperi Kapanen. I mean, these are moves that you could have made in the offseason to make your offense better, and we didn't do it. I mean, what are you going to do now? I mean, is there anybody really out there, you know, out of, you know, who's supposedly available? I don't think so. And like I said, we don't realistically look at our team if you look around the the good teams in the league how many legitimate top six forwards do we have on this team one maybe two that's it everybody else is a third liner i mean these are just facts on look at the good teams i'm talking about the good teams i'm not talking about the worst teams in the league but i mean you got barzal and maybe based on this year's play nelson i mean I give I give Anthony Bavillier as a top six, maybe on again as a tweener on a team like Tampa. Tampa, again, immensely talented. And Tampa made a trade today. And and people are talking about this as well. Well, if you look at Tampa, they overpaid for Blake Coleman, right? They gave up a first round pick and they gave up Nick Foote, a prospect. I, I haven't done my research on on Nick Foote. Don't Adam, know much about him. It's Adam Foote's son. He used to be a, a real solid defensive defenseman for Colorado. Uh, I think he was with Quebec when they started, and then when they moved to Colorado, he was there for a number of years. He was a he was a really good solid defenseman on their cup winning teams. Oh, I know who Adam Foot is, but I, I don't know much about his kid Nick. Um, that being said, yeah. grumpy old man, when they're talking about that, people are saying, "Well, look at how much a, a real cup contender like Tampa's given up. They gave up a first round pick and again a prospect." for a guy in Blake Holman, a winger, who doesn't light the world on fire and is going to fill a bottom six role for them. And the thing I say to that is the Islanders are in a different position than the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't think the Islanders are one bottom six forward away from being a real cup contender. When you're looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have an immense amount of talent. They've got your Kucherovs. They've got your Braden Points. They've got your they got your Steven Stamkos. They have your Victor Hedmans. They've got your Sergachevs. They have guys that would be cornerstones of franchise in themselves, a load of them on their team. They are a bottom six guy away, shoring up their defense of their, their uh, you know, two-way forward away from being the team. They are already the team. They're just trying to make a few little short adjustments to make sure they have enough for a playoff push. And for a team like that, with all the talent and, again, the young talent, the cap that needs to be freed up to continue to, to have this team, the core nucleus of this team, continue on together, they are in win-now mode. I have no problem at all with them overpaying for a guy like Blake Coleman because, in the end, they don't want to go ahead and see another first-round exit to be swept by a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets. That being said, the Islanders, I don't feel like are in the same situation. The Islanders do have a little bit of an older nucleus if you're looking at the top six. Really, if you remove uh, uh, Matt Barzal and Anthony Bavillier, we do have a little bit of an older nucleus. Josh Bailey a little older. Anders Lee's a little older. And again, Brock Nelson, not the youngest guy around. Jordan Everly, not the youngest guy around. So I can understand why... People might think we're in a win-now mode as well. I just don't think we have anywhere near the immense amount of talent that a team like Tampa does. Right. And that's, you know, here's that's the that's the whole point. When you have your first two lines all really stellar, you can tweak the bottom six to try to. I mean, Blake Coleman, he's okay. I could see him playing on the third line for them in some way 
or a fourth line. Um, optimally, they'd like him to be a third line player. Um, but you, they their needs are a lot less than ours. I mean, they they can score whenever they want. I mean, their power play is fantastic. I just I I, I don't understand that argument. I mean, every team is built differently. Every team has different needs. And every team is further along. Uh, Tampa is still a young team. And, and to speak about Tampa, Tampa can afford to overpay for a guy like Blake Coleman. Again, because they have so many premier talented players. Uh, Braden Point, he's a younger player. He's going to have plenty of years. Kucherov, again, another younger player. He's entering his prime. Those are elite talents. Those are if you put a Braden Point or a Kucherov on a team, any other team in the league, that's their stud player. They have plenty of stud players. I remember when it was Steven Stankos. He's the real deal. They have had so many other pieces added to that puzzle where Stankos, I don't want to say he's an afterthought, but when I think – line center for them. He's the second-line center for them. Think about that. What does that tell you between their team and our team? If he was on this team, he'd be the number one center and Barzal would be number two center. I mean, those are just facts. I mean, you have Kucherov and you have Braden Point. I mean, they have great chemistry together. Braden Point's, what, 21, 22 years old? I mean, you know, he was restricted free agent in the offseason. I mean, that when you are all in and your team is really good, you can make a move like that. I don't feel that this organization is there to make moves like that at this time. That's all. We've seen the Pittsburgh Penguins do it back when they had Sidney Crosby and Malcolm back in their prime. A lot of teams – was that man? For years they did that, year after year after year. And now it's caught up with – but, you know, it hasn't even really caught up with them because they still have the high-level the high level players, the Malkins, the Crosbys, the Latangs. They still have those guys producing at a high level, so they're still really good, even though they've given up number one draft picks for years, but they won two cups doing that style. That's what happens when you're that close to the top. When you're not, you're just spinning your wheels. And that's the thing. When you have that elite-level talent – I'm talking about the talent where you're top 10, you're top 10 center, you're top 10 right wing, you're a top 10 defenseman. You will always have the ability to consistently be a playoff contender. It's just how it works. And when you have that, it's all sports really. When you have a few players that are elite better than all others, you will always have a chance to be a top 10 competitor. You'll always have a chance to be a cup competitor. That happens the same thing. Football, basketball, when you have the top talent, you'll always have a chance to be a competitor. And you can take chances you can uh, that maybe other teams can't and won't be able to succeed, you know, like a boom or bust type because you know what you're going to get from certain players. Certain players are going to be able to carry you. And, okay, you know, when they went out and got Phil Kessel, right? I mean, think about when Pittsburgh went out and got Phil Kessel. No one wanted Phil Kessel. He was a cancer, right, team cancer. But he fit in with that team because of the guys that he had around him and the talent that he had around with them. And they helped, they helped, he helped them to win two Stanley Cups. I mean, those are the type of moves you make when you have you know you're going to be good. And that's where Tampa's at right now. They know they're going to be good. They know they're one of the best teams in the league. So they'll take a shot. I don't think Blake Coleman is really a shot. But, I mean, even if they're giving up a first-round draft pick, where's it going to be? Number 27, number 28, maybe even number 31 in the league. I mean – you know, it's different. His thing, if something happens, the Islanders don't make the playoffs and you've given up a first-round pick for some ham and egg or winger, which we're loaded on, I mean, you're talking about a pick that's going to be in the top 15. I mean, then think about how catastrophic that would be. Now, given, I think with the needs that they're addressing, I think they make the playoffs. They're obviously making an all-out push to be a real contender this year. And this is my thing. I, I just don't – I don't see eye-to-eye with that. I don't think we are – we're a top nine forward, a third line center away from from being the team. Um, and that's my thing. And you talked about we need a top line guy. I agree with you, Grumpy Old Man. We need a guy who can really add some offensive pop. And do I think adding a guy like Jean-Gabriel Pajot, a Travis Zajac, people, again, that are being rumored that you know the Islanders are looking at, do I think adding a player like that puts us above? Does that add enough offensive pop to allow us to make a few defensive errors? And Travis, I think the answer is no. Yeah, Travis Zajac would not waive his no-trade clause that he had with New Jersey, so he's not going anywhere. And that's why previous podcasts I mentioned a guy like Kevin LeBlanc um, with San Jose. If you could, I mean, that's one of the only guys that gave up a first-round draft pick because he's young, he's a scoring winger, he could fit in with Barzal. Uh, you know, 
Other teams that you could have had a shot to make a deal with in the offseason were Winnipeg. Look at how many guys they had who were restricted free agents. You had Nicholas Ehlers. You had uh, Kyle. Nikolai Ehlers. Ehlers. You had Kyle, Kyle Connor. Guys like that, you know, where, you know, if you could somehow, I mean, because they were up against the cap too. You take advantage of teams that are up against the cap who have these young players have to be signed. Those are the teams I'm not afraid to give first-round draft picks to, but not for guys like J.G. Pajot. Well, I want to talk about this, grumpy old man, and this is and this kind of ties us in to maybe the end of the podcast again because we're around 40 minutes right now, grumpy old man. Um, we're going to be seeing a guy who was just recently traded from the New Jersey Devils not too long ago, Taylor Hall. And now if you look at that trade, right, they give up a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and they give up some prospects. Given, they give up some elite prospects. They give up one elite prospect, a guy who's maybe a tweener who, again, could contribute, and one guy who – who knows? Uh, that being said, you look at how much they gave up for Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall, a former MVP in the league. They gave up a first-round pick, a third-round pick, an elite-level talented uh, prospect, and then two other prospects as well. How much do you think the Islanders are going to give up for a guy who will not be anywhere near in the same stratosphere as Taylor Hall? That is the biggest thing. I don't know. Unless it's somebody who played for Lamarillo in the past, I don't think they're looking to trade for anybody. I don't think they're looking for anybody that you know he's not familiar with. Uh, I, I mean, I, I have no idea what they're going to do. I, I really don't. I, I think they over if they overpaid for Randy Green, how much could you fleece them for to get you know something that they really need, which is a top line winger? I, I, I don't. I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. But look at. If you you got a first rounder and a third rounder and a couple of prospects, got you Taylor Hall. Well, I will say one thing: one of their prospects, elite, no doubt about it. You know, yeah, that guy's going to contribute. I, I didn't. I didn't hear they had any elite prospects. I didn't hear it. not one guy was not the top prospect in the devil in the uh, Arizona organization. He definitely was not. Um, but the whole thing is, you're giving up a first and a third for a guy who's what 27, 28 years old. And as a scoring winger, but a rental—that's my thing, and that's what I'm trying to compare this at. This young man, Taylor Hall, is a rental, an MVP caliber player, and we're going to get a rental who is, again, top nine forward. I don't see any guys out there that are in the rental category or even being talked about that are being shot at this moment that are a top six forward quality, and that's my thing. Taylor Hall, first line guy, no doubt about it. And we're, we saw how much it costs. Now, grumpy old man, I'm going to pull up the stats here and tell you they did have a prospect who is elite category. And I'll go ahead and, and rattle the stats for you. It probably doesn't mean much to you because you're not a big look at the young guys and other farm system guy. And I understand that. But he is. Uh, that being said, it's going to be interesting to see how much we give up for a rental caliber player who's going to play the third line center. Because we saw how much they gave up for Taylor Hall. And given centers are technically more expensive than wingers. And I understand that. Okay, but my, I'm just trying to compare it to what the Devils got for Hall as opposed to what they got for a 37-year-old rental Andy Green. There's no comparison that they made out way better getting rid of Andy Green than they did for getting rid of Taylor Hall, talent-wise. Uh, you know, I and here's the thing. I, I heard that from everything, every sources that I've heard that that Arizona won that deal because they didn't trade away – any of their they did not trade away any of their top level prospects. They just they just they got rid of some guys that you know might contribute and the first round pick. I mean that was that was what they pretty much gave up. I just like I said, to me, I don't think there's anyone out there and just to make another knee jerk move for this organization right now, I just don't know if it's the right thing to do at this time. It's just like I said, it's just kind of frustrating when you see them make a move like that. I uh, just it's like they're tone deaf to what they really need, which is high-end offensive talent, which they don't have. They don't have any in their farm system. And, you know, you do have one guy that down there who can create offense, and he's never going to get a sniff, and that's what Josh Ho saying. Um, you know, I'd love to see him perhaps get a shot down the stretch. I mean, we need offense. We need creativity desperately. I, I remember when he played with Brock Nelson. He made He made Brock Nelson look really good. He, even as a winger, he was so creative. I think he'd be fantastic giving him a shot on that second line. How about Bavillier, Hosang, and Nelson? How about that for a, a, a second line wing? 
Well, uh, Josh Hosting has been performing down there in Bridgeport. Again, he's never going to play on this team. Um, I think he's got eight points in 12 games. Uh, that being said, so it, what comprised up with their trade, Grumpy Old Man, and you have to remember when this trade was executed, the guy named Nate Schnarr, he was the prospect piece. Um, and if you look at his 2018-19 numbers, again, in juniors, but in the Ontario Hockey League, played 65 games, put up 102 points, was a plus 43. Where and he, he did well in the playoffs. Was that Grumpy Old Man? Where was he drafted? He was drafted in the third round. So not a whole he's lot. 20. Not he's 20. So he's an overage player at 20 years old, not a whole lot of pedigree. Okay, if that if that's your top prospect, that I don't consider that a top prospect. I just don't. Well, if you look at his numbers here in the – well, he's been playing in the AHL this season. Again, the numbers have quieted down a little bit, um, given he's played 39 games so far in the A this year. And he's got 16 points. So, again, he's 20 years old. Not lit the world on fire, per se. But that's, um, that's what I mean. He's not a, he's not a top-level prospect. You're talking about a 20-year-old playing in a junior league where he puts up 102 points? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, I heard they didn't give up anyone, of anyone certainly not their, their highest-rated prospects. Absolutely not for Arizona. I, th- I thought that deal was a steal for Arizona, even for a one-year rental. And it's worked out. And one of the guys they traded is prospect Nick Merkley. He's up there with the New Jersey Devils at the moment. Two games, a goal, and assists. Um, again, very, very young in his NHL career. So, again, it's tough to say whether he's going to pan out or not. And they gave up a second-round pick from the 2018 uh, 18 draft, Kevin Ball. I'm just saying you see what they gave up. And they gave up prospects of, of value. It's not like they're giving up some prospects they drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. They, they gave up guys first round, second round, third round picks, guys who would continue to perform there. And when you look at the time of the trade, um, Schnarr, again, 100 points there in, in in the OHL, given he was an overage junior, but that's what you expect. And that's when you're looking at the maturation process of, of a prospect and a young man, you want to see things like that. It continues to check the box. That being said, it's going to be interesting to see how much the Islanders give up for a guy who probably won't be a top six forward, let alone an MVP quality candidate. It's going to be interesting to see what we give up for a guy like that. And that's, that's where I might have the issue because – I think we're going to give up a lot for a guy who is not a Taylor Hall quality player and who is not extremely talented. So we'll see. We'll see what happens, grumpy old man. Um, is there anything else you want to kind of say before we wrap things up? I know this is a little bit longer than a normal podcast, and we were kind of jumping all over the place, but the Islanders made a trade the first time. And now you could say, grumpy old man, Lou Lamarillo is making moves. You can't say he's asleep. He's not making moves anymore because he's making moves. I heard he was trying to make a move for Scott Stevens too. He's only a <sighs> He's only 50, but he did play, you know, for him for many years. So, you know, maybe bring Ken Danico back. Scott, um, Scott Nino Iyer back too. Bring Bill, Bill Gurren back or, uh, you know, anybody. Marty Brodor can come back and fill in in goal. Yeah, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's what the Islanders are looking to do. I don't know. Uh, grumpy old man. I want to thank you for being a part of the podcast. As always, I had fun today. I had fun talking about it. Rational thoughts. Hopefully we were all spewing out today. Nothing irrational. Um, I think the trade does help in the short term. It does. Grumpy old man. Can you say that as well? It does help based off of the way that the team was using no adopts and this trade does help. Potentially, potentially. I don't know until we actually see it. It depends on who he's teamed with. Remember the one thing he can't do, he can't skate. So if they team him up with Johnny Boychuk, that's going to be a really bad defense. How many times did Noah Dobson bail out Johnny Boychuk coming back and uh, covering for him when he made an ill-time pinch and or a guy just walked around him? That's not going to happen with Andy Reid. I'll be interested to see where he fits in the lineup. Um, oh. I will. I will say that. I'm, so I'm going to withhold my opinions on how he's going to help the team. I think he will help in the uh, penalty kill right off the bat. But uh, I'll be interested to see uh, who he's teamed with and how he looks before I make a judgment like that. Okay, Grumpy old man. I will make sure I keep a running tab to see how our team does defensively and our goals against average difference after this trade of Andy Green. Um, but thank you so much for being a part of the podcast as always. I enjoy podcasting with you, Grumpy old man. I enjoy you being a part of this. And I'm sure the Islander fans united, the people who listen to the podcast, I know they enjoy you, Grumpy old man. Well, I just do want to say that I was uh, I was really close on my prediction for the last couple of games. If we would have scored a goal, I, I could have been uh, right on one front. I said we were going to get four points. 
I didn't realize we weren't going to get any goals. So it was awful tough for me to get four points or any points when you don't score at all. So that's kind of where we are at that. Now I'm going, I mean, the, the next two games, I know there's a Wednesday game, um, but that's too late. I'm not going to be podcasting at one o'clock in the morning. I have a job, uh, a day job. So I'm going to give you the res- what I'm going to predict for the next two games, uh, even though the second one is on Wednesday. I think that we will beat Arizona tomorrow, uh, but I think we will lose to Colorado. So I think we'll get two points out of four. A very safe bet, Grumpy Old Man. I'm going with four points. I do feel confident we will beat the Colorado Avalanche. We did beat them earlier on this year. I think we played very well against them, and it was a playoff atmosphere type of game. I think we come away with four points. I'm not on abandoned ship by the Islanders for any means necessary. I'm not. Uh, um, but I will tell you this much. I'm not sure how much we're going to overpay for a forward just based off of what we saw for the payment of Andy Green, an old rental defenseman. Grumpy old man. I almost totally forgot. Very, very quick side note. Um, today, Arthur Staple tweeted that after the Islanders made a trade for Andy Green, that he was being sent to Arizona now. And for those who necessarily aren't privy with the Islanders' schedule, um, Arizona is where the Islanders will be playing their next game. So a lot of people were wondering, oh, the Islanders have traded now Andy Green to Arizona and maybe a bigger deal. And WFNZ the fan went ahead and wrote an article that after the Islanders had traded for Andy Green, that now they have sent him and flipped him in a deal to the Arizona Coyotes. So it was funny to see that uh, that mess up there on social media. Nothing like nothing like the media actually checking and doing their job to find out if something's true or not. Why am I not surprised? Um, well, any legwork at all, you would have realized they were playing in Arizona and might have had you question it instead of just blindly going something. Good job, uh, WFNZ. Yeah, it's not WFNZ, Grumpy Old Man. I messed up. I accidentally – now, so WFNZ is a radio station by me. It's just WFAN. So oh, I, I messed up too. So now I look like a real – now I look like a real – I thought you knew what you were – see, I did the same thing that uh, Arizona, that uh, W that the fan did in New York. I did the same thing they did. I just used their call letter, just listening to what you said instead of double checking. But when I'm doing a live podcast, you know, that's something that's going to happen. I'll take blame for that, Grumpy Old Man. I don't know why I was thinking it was WFAZ, the fan, but that is an old uh, radio station by me. Uh, But yes, so Grumpy Old Man, I want to thank you for being a part of the podcast so much. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Grumpy Old Man. My pleasure.